Welcome to the 293rd episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you and welcome. I'm going to talk a little bit about the presentation I'm going to do tomorrow at the Punta Gorda, Florida VegFest. And I'm going to kind of go through with what I'm going to talk about there. And I hope that you enjoy it. And, uh, you know, if you can get to the Punta Gorda VegFest uh, tomorrow, uh, which is February the 28th, that would be great. You may hear this later, so it may be a done deal or... Uh, you may end up hearing something similar. Um, I never do a canned talk. I always speak without notes. I have topics that I go over, so it's never exactly the same. So even if you end up hearing this in person, it'll be a little bit different than it was. So I hope you do enjoy it. Uh, a couple of things on uh, a note that March 25th, you can go on over to our website, drdelaney.com, D-O-C-T-O-R-D-U-L-A-N-E-Y. Dot com and purchase your ticket for a Zoom nutrition conference March 25th where I'll be doing sourdough bread from the beginning to the end. So you'll see every step and a description of it and the benefits. And we're going to talk about fermentation and the gut microbe and Addie Delaney Minert. We'll also be doing um, a couple of meals that involve fermented products, so tempeh and sauerkraut, and we're going to talk about the gut microbiome. So if you'd like to hear that, go on over and uh, click on and get your ticket. Uh, just like last time, it'll be available for a week afterwards. We'll have a Q&A session that evening. It's a Thursday evening from 5 to 8.30 or so, but then you can ask questions that whole next week and, uh, and view the recording. So I hope you enjoy it. The last one was such a success, and we had such good feedback. We, we want to do it again. So that's the plan. Um, from a running standpoint, next week is the, it's hard to believe it's finally here, the Treasure Coast Marathon. And I'll be running alongside of one of my members, and it'll be his first marathon ever. After losing well over 70 pounds and getting off of insulin, and he has a history of coronary artery disease, so we'll probably get him on the podcast afterwards to just celebrate, but really excited about that. And then, of course, in April, be heading out to Utah for the Zion 50K, so ramping up the mileage. Um, a little warm here today in Florida. I'm sorry for all you up there north, but uh, it was actually a very enjoyable run this morning. I like running in the heat and so it was a really nice sunny run down here. So we're having beautiful, if you like, this is probably the best time or the best season out of the whole year to live in Florida. Um, we have um, virtually no or little humidity. It gets cool at night and gets warm during the day. And uh, so we'll, we'll enjoy this for another month maybe, and then it's going to start kicking up and start getting humid again until uh, probably December next year. But right now, the weather's absolutely beautiful, and I'm looking forward to taking Sophie, my German Shepherd, to the VegFest tomorrow, and I'm going to be there with my staff, and we have a tent, and we'll have our cookbook, and uh, we're actually going to do a giveaway, um, and I'll talk about that a little bit in this talk that I, that I am. So we're going to do three um, meal giveaways that we've actually purchased the produce, and they're going to put them in a, one of our shopping bags that are such reusable and so people can actually take it home with the recipe and, and make dinner t uh, after the veg fest so i hope that goes well i'll let you know next week of course 
So what I'm going to talk about uh, is being healthy vegan. It's a veg fest, which um, the veg fests that are um, in this area are um, somewhat geared towards more healthy plant-based eating as well as being vegan veg fests. So there's a, a little bit of both, and there's actually some um, SOS, salt, oil, sugar-free designations to some, uh, some of the vendors can get to have um, display their healthy fare. But, you know, there's a lot of kind of carnival vegan food. And so I really wanted to talk about being a healthy vegan and, and what that actually means. Um, because in my opinion, for, you know, to be a healthy vegan means a healthy planet means uh, it's good for the animals as well. Uh, if you're not healthy, you can't take care of anybody else and your stewardship is limited by your ability to do things. But I think we also need to set a really good example of what being healthy is. And there's a lot of stigma out there of, about vegans that they're, you know, unhealthy, poor energy, um, you know, nutrient deficient and unhappy and, you know, uh, anti-vaxxer, the whole, the whole nine yards. So I, I want to, you know, downplay that. And the Veg Fest tomorrow, you know, has a variety of different people um, that are uh, also healthy and fit and, uh, you know, are going to try to portray this message as well. So when I talk about what it is to be healthy, um, the first thing I think about is, you know, you can't be healthy and not be a normal body, have a normal body mass index. And yes, I know some people are going to say, yes, but I'm full of muscle and my body mass index is increased because I'm very, very muscular. And there is that portion of people that um, are big muscular guys and carry a lot of bone and muscle mass and they have a big BMI. But more often than not, um, some of these big fellas also have a fair amount of abdominal fat, intra-abdominal fat as well. Even down to women, as we age, a body mass index around that normal level of 24.8 can also be associated with increased abdominal fat, less muscle, less bone, uh, and not be necessarily healthy. And of course, you can take it down into a younger aspect and be very skinny and have a BMI around 18 and have low muscle mass and uh, low bone mass and be a set up for osteoporosis because we know that, you know, what muscle and bone mass you get at about, you know, in your early 20s, that's pretty much going to be your peak. We know with strength training, you can actually put muscle on at any age, but it's much more difficult. And as soon as you stop, it goes away very, very quickly. So the, you know, the best way to maintain muscle mass and bone mass is to really get it, uh, to, to get it at a really good healthy level in your 20s when you stop growing. And that way it's easier to maintain something good as opposed to, to always be chasing it. So we don't want people to be too skinny and we don't want to be too fat and we don't want to be too, too uh, uh, you know, over muscular um, and, uh, you know, again, carrying fat with us as well. So the BMI is uh, certainly important. The next is fitness level. Um, you know, you can be skinny or overweight and not be fit. You can be skinny or overweight and fit. So we want people to be physically fit and have a good endurance capacity as well as a good strength and mobility. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And obviously nutrition, uh, because I believe uh, that plant-based, a whole food plant-based way of eating for humans 
is the best species appropriate diet that we can consume. And I think that has been shown over numerous retrospective studies, as well as looking at the blue zones, as working at people that have been doing this, looking at people that have been doing this for a very long time. And I'm very comfortable in saying that, yes, plant-based nutrition, whole foods, low in salt, oil, and sugar, best way to go for sure. So we'll, we'll talk about that as, as we go along. So what happens when we age? Well, our telomeres are the end caps. If you think about the plastic caps on the end of your shoestrings, that's kind of what the telomeres look like on our DNA. They start to shorten as we age, and ultimately they unravel, and that's when DNA damage starts to occur. We generate free radicals when we do anything that causes oxidation. Just eating um, activities of daily living generate free radicals, but the more poor we eat, uh, the less we take care of ourselves, the less sleep we get, the less our nutrition is, you know, our antioxidants can't keep up with the generation of free radicals, and then that causes ultimate medical and metabolic damage. We lose bone and muscle over time, which causes us to age. The other thing that happens is we're stressing our endocrine system. You know, when your body is trying to do all these feedback loops with estrogen and thyroid hormone and cortisol, and you're just really burning your endocrine glands at full tilt, they tend to fail and they tend to fail early. So we see people um, going through menopause at an early age. We see thyroid dysfunction, of course, diabetes, and all of that leads to accelerated aging. And again, nutrition plays a huge role with the accumulation of metabolic waste. So when we eat things that come packaged with a lot of chemicals and um, heavy metals, then those things have to be stored somewhere. We don't eliminate them completely. And often they get stored in our fat. So we have all these toxins build up over time and results in aging. So again, by the way we live our lives, we can decrease aging and aging is associated with risk factors for all of these diseases, and they're all the same. So I want to try to send the message at this VegFest that we need to lead by example. Not preach, not uh, get up on our soapbox, but actually lead by example by being the most healthy individuals that we possibly can. And it depends a lot on where we're starting. You know, if you're new to being plant-based or new to being vegan, it can be very uh, daunting. And if you're new to cooking, it, you know, adds complications to things. So you have to start where you are, of course. Um, You know, I tell my patients that the sicker they are, they, you know, the more aggressive they have to be early on. If you're a young person, then you, you know, the clock's on your side as far as learning this. But If you're really, really sick and we want to stop the boat from going over Niagara Falls and we want to back it up, then we have to be very, very aggressive in our dietary changes. So we need, but more than anything, we need to lead by example. We're not going to be able to impose our our viewpoints on other people. But if people see us doing well, then chances are they're they're going to want to join in. This is Heart Month. February uh, is Heart Month. We're coming to a close. It's never not Heart Month for me as a cardiologist. But, um, you know, who's at risk for heart disease? We know everybody's at risk from, you know, babies are born with some degree of cardiac risk, depending on how their mothers were. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But it goes from, you know, toddler to teenager to pregnant mom to mom to grandma 
you know, to the elderly from coaches. I saw this week in Facebook a very sad post where someone lost a beloved football coach. He was morbidly obese. He looked to be in his 40s. You know, it was a shock to them, but not to me when I looked at his picture. It's It was certainly preventable, but not a shock. So we've lost a couple doctors in this town this year to stroke and heart attack because, again, they're eating very poorly. They're working late hours. They're uh, not doing any exercise, and they prematurely aged and ultimately had cardiovascular disease. So we're all at risk for this. There's no one that is not. And I think as a young person, we tend to think that we're immune. And even as an older person, you may know someone that's had heart disease and bypass and stents, and yeah, they'll be okay. But the reality of it is, and I'm going to say it here now, and I'm going to say it again and again, there are 650,000 deaths a year from cardiovascular disease. That's the number one killer in this country, and it doesn't just affect 90-year-olds. It's across the board. And, uh, you know, we need we need to be aggressive to... Uh, to change it, and I believe being plant-based and vegan is an excellent way to reverse cardiovascular disease, and with that, we'll reverse other lifestyle diseases. But we need to to realize that it can happen to anyone at any age. So the risk factors for cardiovascular disease are similar to the risk factors for lifestyle diseases, uh, autoimmune diseases, as are the risk factors for a bad outcome to infectious diseases like COVID-19. COVID so having a high BMI, hypertension, high cholesterol, being sedentary, smoking, and being a diabetic are, are some of the biggest risk factors for cardiovascular disease, lifestyle disease, and a poor outcome to infectious disease because ultimately all these conditions also have in common a high inflammatory level. So by treating one, we actually treat all of them. Again, as an endurance athlete and a cardiologist, activity is very important to me. There was a recent study done uh, and published in the European Heart Journal where they looked at people with heart attacks and they looked at their energy levels or their energy expenditure over the, you know, their physical activity levels and they divided them uh, according to how many METs they did per week. And when you look at a metabolic equivalent, you know, making the bed is something like three METs. So it's how much oxygen you actually consume doing a particular activity per your weight. So uh, in other words, if somebody is uh, running for uh, four hours a week, that would be a very high functional uh, activity or physical activity level. If they were predominantly sedentary, then that would be a very low. And there was a, there was a very good correlation between um, being physically fit or being better um, than sedentary, being moderate to vi vigorous activity, high met, uh, metabolic equivalent. And again, not extremely high, about four hours a week uh, of vigorous activity um, was associated with a decrease in mortality from a heart attack, both initially um, in the first uh, 24, 48 hours and over 20 day, 28 day period. So again, uh, some of the risk factors for cardiovascular disease being sedentary, if you're not sedentary and you're physically fit, you can decrease, doesn't mean you can reverse 
cardiovascular disease with one good thing alone, but it does mean that you can help yourself if you're trying to get these other factors in line and something does happen. And I think that's a really important point that just being physically fit, but having an abnormal BMI and being a diabetic and having high cholesterol is not going to save you. Taking medications and lowering your cholesterol, but being very sedentary and having high blood pressure that's not controlled is not going to save you. Taking your blood pressure medications, but having high cholesterol and being sedentary is not going to save you. Um, it may decrease your risk, it may improve your outcome, but it's not going to reverse disease. We have to tack these different risk factors on each level. So you can actually lower your risk of dying from a heart attack somewhere between 30 and 45% being vigorously active and being physically fit. So good. So, you know, that's one thing that everybody has the opportunity to be able to do. So no matter, you know, find what you like. It doesn't have to be running. Um, you know, my mom at 88, um, she says she gets her vigorous activity by pushing a broom around my house because or a dust mop around my house because I have these big German shepherds that shed all the time. She's always coming over to my house and pushing the broom, and she uses that as her physical activity. And, you know, she's always chasing after the dogs and on the porch and cleaning up, and she's moving, 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 and she watches her steps as well, and she maintains her activities. So she also golfs. She does yoga. So it depends on what you do. Um, I know someone that's a contractor that does, you know, builds houses and is physically laboring all day long, carrying lumber, using a hammer, you know, back and forth, back and forth. Those people are expending lots of energy. So it doesn't have to be a sport necessarily, but it needs to be something that you like, something that you enjoy, or something that's part of your occupation that can actually keep you physically fit. We know that leg strength is tied to brain strength, partly because of just gravity feeding blood and muscle strength, especially glutes and leg, being able to pump blood more effectively, arterial blood flow, venous blood flow, but also improved mitochondria. So the more muscle you have, the more mitochondria you have, the better energy production you have. Your brain needs energy. So um, even seniors that were started on strength training programs have actually been shown to improve their menta mentation. Obviously, if you're a senior and, you're, and your leg and your glute strength is strong, you're less likely to fall. So that's also protected. But we know that leg strength is very, very important and particularly important for falls. Your oxygen consumption, you know, when we look at elite athletes like Lance Armstrong or high-level athletes, their ability to take up oxygen and use it for metabolism to generate energy, those athletes with very, very high VO2 max tend to be superior. There is a training effect. There is a weight effect. But the majority of people, their VO2 max starts, it declines with age. And so how you're able to maintain that or where it was is important. And actually your VO2 max at age 50 is tied to longevity. So if you're out of shape at age 50, then um, you need to really do something about it because you're behind the eight ball to try to get into shape uh, to use exercise and fitness level in the longevity game. Uh, mobility. 
Uh, again, risk of fall. If you fall and break your hip, the next thing going to happen is to get pneumonia and, and die from that or certainly injuries um, that can be sustained from falls. So mobility of uh, main joints and the main, our, our main ball and socket, hips and shoulders is very important. So longevity is also tied to the ability to get off the floor without using your hands. Uh, there's actually a, a, a score um, if you have to use one hand or two hands or hit your knee or, you know, grab onto something. Uh, same thing for a squat with a broom over top of, you know, like a dowel rod or a broom handle over your, over your head. The depth of squat and the ability to, to actually rotate your shoulders as well as your hips is also associated uh, with improved functional capacity and longevity. We talked about cardio and metabolic equivalence. So the, so the more endurance training that you do, there's no level at which, okay, you're too fit and it starts to tail off. So the more exercise you do has always been a correlated with uh, improved longevity and uh, performance. I hear people, you know, talk a lot and, and it's, it's kind of funny, um, here lately, I've been walking my dogs, and then I go for a run. Uh, Gretchen's getting a little older. Sophie's too young to run yet, so they do a vigorous walk to get their energy out, and then I go for a run, and I go by you know, a, a fairly similar route. And you get to know when people go to the gym. And you know, I see people that, you know, it seems like Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they go to the gym. And a lot of people do Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they go to the gym. And or they walk Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, or they walk during the week, but they don't walk on the weekends. So I see who's out and who's not out. And um, but the reality of it is that you need to keep this up and to, and to keep keep doing things. But one hour a day, and then go home and watching TV for seven hours and sleeping for seven hours doesn't cut it. And actually, one hour of vigorous activity followed by the majority of the rest of the day sitting is associated with increase in mortality. So we need to get up and move. And we need to move to a significant degree. So just walking very slowly, you know, um, intermittently uh, may not be enough to do it, but it's certainly better than nothing. But setting your watch to get up and do a few squats at your desk or take a walk at lunchtime um, making your own food, standing, cleaning your own dishes, taking your own garbage out, walking to the grocery store um, from a farther distance in the parking lot. These are all things that can actually benefit your time not sitting and improve your overall outcome. So I came across an interesting article this week in the Journal of American Medical Association looking at uh, maternal cardiovascular risk and child cardiovascular risk, and it was um, a little wor- a lot worrisome actually, because when we think of young pregnant women, we think of basically healthy people. Um, the idea is that we're all on this planet to reproduce, and our life expectancy, you know, has improved, and everybody takes for granted that they're going to live to their and through their reproductive years pretty healthy. But that's not necessarily the case. This study looked at 2,302 pairs of mom and child from a variety of different countries. And 
looked at mom's cardiovascular risk factor and child or baby, or I guess child's cardiovascular risk factor at age 10 to 14. And what they found was mom, um, how good of shape mom was in or how many risk factors mom had was really tied to how many risk factors the child had. The really scary finding was that ideal cardiovascular health with regards to risk factors such as weight, smoking, hypertension, diabetes, activity in mom Ideal, meaning that perfect score, only 32.8% of that 2,300 couples, 42.2% of children. So that if mom has poor cardiovascular risk factors, then there is a good chance that a 10 to 14-year-old child is going to have these abnormal risk factors. That is very, very scary because the clock keeps moving back and that children keep developing heart disease and plaques and hypertension and diabetes at younger and younger ages. So it's very, very important to emphasize mom's health during pregnancy in order to protect the child's health. So what should babies drink? There was a um, consensus statement written by some pretty prominent dietitians one from the University of Pittsburgh, one from the University of New Mexico, Albuquerque, um, associated with Robert. Uh, they referenced Robert Woods Johnson um, consensus statement and basically said that they didn't recommend plant milk for toddlers and uh, children being weaned off of breast milk. And they cited the reason that there could be a vitamin D deficiency, calcium deficiency, zinc deficiency, and decreased protein absorption from plant milks uh, because of things like lectins and um, um, phytates in, say, soy milk or uh, in in grains. Most of that came, you know, again, the very biased American uh, American Diabetic, or I'm sorry, American Dietetics Association um, and, you know, even the FDA and the RDA um, standards um, are very much influenced by the dairy industry. And so there's a tremendous amount of bias. Tyrene is a, you know, you may have heard of it. Um, cats need tyrene. They, they can't, um, they, they need that. They, they can't make enough of it. Dogs can make some. Humans make it. Um, premature. The only the only thing looking at humans in taurine deficiency are preterm babies in the intensive care unit. It's important for them for brain development to get taurine. But after a baby is weaned, that taurine deficiency is not only not an issue, but may actually too excessive taurine might actually start to be dangerous. And there was actually another study off, uh, you know, on a different note that with energy drinks that have taurine added to them, there can be cardiovascular side effects. So that certainly was dismissed. They talked about the vitamin D being added to plant milks, and it's synthetic and uh, might not be well absorbed. The reality of it is most dairy cows are raised in the factory setting, never see the light of day, and the majority of dairy cows actually get synthetic vitamin D. So you can get your synthetic vitamin D added to your cow that gives the milk and then probably some more synthetic vitamin D added. Or you can get your synthetic vitamin D from plant milk that's been added. 
but the sources are, are you know, it, it's really not, it's a, it's a moot point, um, as well as the absorption. We know that phytates are actually protective against cancer. Most of the, most of the phytates and in, in, in lignans, when they're, when they're heated, it, it becomes a, a moot point as well. Um, so, I mean, the, the, the calcium, as we all know, starts to come from vegetables and beans and grains, so oats and other, so, other sources. So it, it really is, is not an issue. And if you look at it the other way, you know, with cow's milk allergies, and the other thing that's really been associated with cow's milk is the um, side effects of casomorphines in dairy cow in dairy milk. Cow milk um, has been uh, shown to cause apneic episodes, the allergies associated with casein and the casomorphines, delayed gastric emptying. Um, so a whole host of things with cow's milk. You know, so the ideal is for breastfed. So breastfeed as long as possible, and then obviously, um, very safe to go to a plant-based milk. Again, you're not going to feed a child just plant-based milk. the The diet should be rich in fruits and vegetables and whole grains, like that of a human. So yes, again, vegans get a bad rap. Uh, we're going to give our kids plant milk and carrot sticks and lettuce, and they're going to be really skinny and get rickets and scurvy, and that's just not the case. Yes, there are extremes in that instance. There are extremes where kids are given Coca-Cola and um, fast food from the day they get weaned. So, you know, how are those different? There are people that just don't understand on both sides of the fence, but we as plant-based people and vegans need to set the example and show just how healthy our children can be eating a whole food plant-based diet when you do it the right way. So I'm going to I'm sure I'm going to see tomorrow people eating chips and uh, Tostitos and of course there's a variety of vegan chips, Brussels sprout chips, beet chips, vegetable chips, vegetable sticks and all of these things contain acrylamides. And acrylamides comes from high heat to vegetables. So, and um, the government has declared that 0.5 parts per billion or 12 micrograms in an 8-ounce glass of water is toxic or the up the upper limits of normal. However, um, 6 ounces of French fries have 60 micrograms. Frito-Lay lost a lawsuit and had to decrease their acrylamide part per million to 275 to avoid having to put a cancer warning label on their, on their products. Their, uh, Americans consume one, uh, accum- or actually Americans consume 1.85 billion pounds of potato chips a year. That's 6.6 pounds per person. Uh, actually, more than that because I don't eat them. And uh, again, they can have nine, five to hundred to nine hundred times the legal limits. You know, cod chips, which is a very you know expensive potato chip, nine hundred and ten times the legal limits. Kettle chips, five hundred times, and baked chips are actually worse than fried because they're exposed to those temperatures longer. So chips, in and of themselves, even if you're not fat. 
even if you're not overweight, even if you don't have hypertension, hyperlipidemia yet, are associated with increased risk of increased acrylamides, and then add that to every other vegetable at high temperature, and you can get into some big, uh, serious cancer risk at any age. So again, whole food, plant-based, best way to go, eat your potatoes baked, eat your potatoes at a decent level, 375, boiled, um, microwaved, much safer. If you're going to do french fries, bake them and bake them in an oven, but bake them longer and a lower temperature and don't use oil. You know, it's uh, COVID, 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 COVID everywhere. And again, you know, my claim to fame as a cardiologist is, hey, you know, people are dying of heart disease. Let's look out. Same risk factors. Uh, We should get this under control, obesity being one of the biggest ones. And one of the reasons why obesity increases inflammatory markers so much is the adipose tissue is just not sitting there being insulation. It actually is metabolically active, secreting inflammatory type compounds, which are the ones that you hear associated with a hyperinflammatory response to things like COVID. So people that are overweight have a higher risk of having bad outcomes to SARS-CoV-2, as well as developing hypertension, diabetes, and so forth. Again, the mechanism of diabetes is not too much sugar in, but not being able to take the glucose up, say from an apple, because our muscle and liver cells are blocked by fat. The other thing is that fatty liver actually is causing more need for liver transplant than alcoholic cirrhosis. Once fatty liver progresses to scarring and cirrhosis, then um, the only viable option is is a transplant. So these are serious things um, that we are ignoring in everyday life while we run from infectious disease and we're eating our fast foods from a car. Which leads me to a rebuttal on... Again, me complaining that we should be talking more about cardiovascular disease and risk factors. And I quote, if putting on a mask could stop heart disease, I would be happy to do it. I took that as if it was easy, I could do it. But if it's, you know, involves some effort, then I'm really not in for it. You know, sticking on a mask, I can say, hey, I'm helping my fellow friend by not spreading disease. And maybe I'm protecting myself. And it takes very little effort to do it. It may actually result in very little benefit. It may involve, it may result in more benefit. I don't know. I don't think that anybody really knows, but certainly it's easy, right? It's easy to stick on a mask, and, you know, it might actually improve your CO2 tolerance, so it could help a little bit and deliver a little bit more oxygen to your tissues. So as long as you're keeping it clean, um, can't hurt, might help, certainly easy, as opposed to actually changing your diet and becoming plant-based. So again... Uh, Lead by example. If you want to help your fellow man eat healthy, plant-based, whole foods, show them how healthy you can be. Show them how it's done. Cook for somebody. I loved when I had Nanette on the podcast way back when, and she said, you know, I just bring people over and feed them a good meal. And it convinced them, this is okay. I can do this. And, um, you know, uh, there's a nice restaurant, Seed to Table. Hey, Chris. You know, if you listen to the podcast, when people go there and they eat his food, nice, healthy, plant-based food, they like it and they want to do it and they inquire and he has a conversation with them. It's not that hard. It can be simple, but lead by example. One thing you might suggest a mask could be used for, though, if you can't stay out of the chips and you can't stay away from the fried foods and the and the meat and the dairy, then, you know, maybe that's a good time to put your mask on because that could actually reverse heart disease. 
So maybe my rebuttal should have been to that person that if you put your mask on when you come with animal-based products and unhealthy vegan food, then yes, you could actually decrease the incidence of heart disease rather simply, I might add. So let's build our plate with wonderful colors, fruits and vegetables, whole grains, potatoes, sweet potatoes, purple potatoes, orange potatoes, yellow potatoes, all kinds of vegetables. I think there are about 40,000 plus. Make it colorful, abundant. Don't add salt, oil, and sugar to a bunch of things, and life will be good. Same thing for exercise. Move your body. Do what you like. Do a sport that you like or just move in your day-to-day activity a little bit more of what you do. If you just cook at home the majority of time, you can increase your caloric expenditure, increase your nutrient density, and actually reverse your risk factors such as hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, hypertension. Because if you walk, to the, walk into the grocery store, carry your groceries out, bring them home, carry them in, prepare your food, clean up your dishes, and eat a healthy meal that you have control over, you're going to burn a lot more calories and eat a lot better than driving to a restaurant or driving through a drive through getting high fat, salt, and sugar food, eating more calories than you should, expending no energy, That shift is huge over time. So just cook those colorful vegetables or eat them raw. If you don't want to cook, you don't like to cook, keep it simple. Eat them raw. Eat them uncooked. You don't have to call it raw. We are doing a giveaway for the ingredients to make our Irish stew. That's cabbage, carrots, potatoes, celery, uh, as well as our poblano potato and our broccoli soup. So I'm really anxious to share that with the people at the VegFest and give them those bags. They have to be there to participate, obviously, because it's fresh fruit, fresh organic, um, fresh fruit, fresh food, or all organic. The recipe will be in there. It's quite simple. Um, the ingredient list is in there, and they'll get a little bag that says, Jamila J. Delaney, our heart beats plant strong. So thanks for taking a little practice run with this talk. I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I hope that I will spur people to be healthy vegans, to be positive. Uh, I think that being vegan is a great thing uh, for the animals and for the planet, but we can do better. We can be plant-based vegans. And in case you wondered what the beep was in the background, that was my pinto beans and great northern beans that I'm going to make cowboy caviar out of after we're finished here. I'm uh, going to make that for tomorrow for the Veg Fest to take just in case I can't find any food or can get away with the booth, can get away from the booth. A lot of times I get trapped um, just because I get to talking. Tonight I'm going to have Brussels sprouts, purple sweet potatoes, uh, and some cabbage. So I'll keep it simple. Have some fruit after uh, dinner. Got my 10-mile run in this morning. Life is good. I, again, I hope I can see people at the Veg Fest. If I don't, maybe I'll see you on a run. Maybe I'll see you at Treasure Coast next weekend. But uh, ta-ta for now.